Dan, I'm a sack of meat slumped in a cheap office chair. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, our business partner today is Weebly. You can go to weebly.com slash 48 days and get 15% off when you sign up for your own online store. Now, I'm going to be telling you in a little bit why that might be important for you. If you get an idea, if you're an artist, you're a writer, you want to get into the game, you don't have to wait for anything. Weebly is one of the tools we're going to direct you to. Well, you heard there in my opening, kind of an interesting paraphrase. To get us started, yes, you're listening to the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take 48 minutes to dive into the, your real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating that significant work that allows you to show up every day, excited to be able to do something that's meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Now, there's some real key elements in there that we're going to be looking at, but it relates to some of the questions. I'm going to have one real theme today, and it has to do with a quotation we're going to use that comes from Seth Godin, who said, no one is going to pick you, pick yourself. Now, so I sorted through the questions. Man, I love going through the questions. The questions you guys send in just make my day in that I could not dream up fodder for talking about finding or creating work in a way other than what you guys stimulate with these amazing questions. So I sorted through and all the questions that I'm going to address today have to do with pick yourself. So first question, I found your book, 48 Days, very informative, insightful, and helpful in many ways, except one, being able to actually land my dream job. Now, keep that phrase in mind. We're going to come back to that. Next question, I need to get going in ministry again, but I don't have a seminary degree or divinity degree. And then the one I alluded to in the opening, Dan, I'm a sack of meat slumped in a cheap office chair. Boy, talk about Great alliteration. What, what is that a visual image or what? I'm a sack of meat slumped in a cheap office chair. That describes a whole lot of people out here Monday through Friday and how they feel. And then somebody says, Dan, I've been a school band director for 15 years and I'm looking to make a career change. So again, our quotation from Seth Godin is, no one is going to pick you, pick yourself. So our call to action today, and I'll remind you this again at the end, is how can you move directly toward your dream without waiting for anyone to pick you? Really important question. And trust me, you don't need to wait. Well, let's hit some good news and then we'll go right into these amazing questions. So when fallen officer's son asked for someone to take him to school, he's shocked to see 70 cops waiting. Now this just happened. This is up in Indiana, Terre Haute, Indiana. It's been a little over two weeks since Dakota Pitt's father died in the line of duty. Now, his dad 
was a 46-year-old policeman, went out on a homicide call and was shot and killed by the suspect. Just one of those horrendous things. So the little boy, five-year-old boy, going to return to school. And his dad always took him to school. Well, since his dad was a police officer at the Terre Haute Police Department, Indiana, the little boy, Dakota, asked his mom if one of his dad's friends could take him to school, maybe just that first day. Well, when local law enforcement officials heard about Dakota's request, they were more than happy to oblige. So when Dakota did return, there was a, a police officer came, escorted him back to school, and there were 70 police officers, SWAT members, and deputies there to welcome him and assure him they had his back. He'll definitely know his dad was a hero, his aunt told the newspaper. Isn't that a great story? I mean, just tough, tough family tragedy. But they had 70 police officers show up to let this little boy know they're going to be there, even though his daddy is not. Well, here a teenager saw a senior sitting outside in the hot sun. He grabbed an umbrella and ran to help. Now, this, this picture has gone viral. You can check it out. Lewis Jordan was picking his mom up from work in downtown Houston when he saw an older woman named Michelle sitting in a wheelchair waiting for the bus. Now, this kid, African-American kid, white woman sitting in the wheelchair. So, again, one of those great stories that we want to see more of. Uh, Ken looks to be maybe 16 years old. So he's down there getting ready to pick his mom up, who would be coming on a bus. Well, instead of just sitting there, seeing this elderly woman sitting in a wheelchair right in the direct sun waiting for the bus, he grabbed an umbrella out of his car and went over, opened it up to shade this lady from the sun. He says it was unbearably hot. I wouldn't want to be out there in the sun. So they stood there waiting for the bus, or he stood there waiting for the bus. They started talking and chatting, became friends. He actually stood there for an hour and 45 minutes. Now, nobody expected it to be that much time, but instead of just saying, well, hey, I've been here for 10 minutes, that's all I can. Even when his mom came, he said, we got to stay here until her bus comes. An hour and 45 minutes, he stood there shading the lady from the sun. And now since that, has met her multiple times again there because it's a common meeting meeting point. They become friends, but just a great story. Well, you know, there was a big royal wedding last week. Can't avoid that. Even if you don't watch the news, it was everywhere. Harry and Meghan got married and they donated the wedding flowers to cheer up hospice patients. Now, obviously, there's millions of dollars being spent. And certainly a lot of waste, and you can go down that rabbit hole if you want to. But instead of letting their beautiful bouquets go to waste, Prince Harry and Meghan put their floral arrangements to good use. After the royal wedding at Windsor Castle last Saturday, they donated all of the decorative flowers used in the ceremony to St. Joseph's Hospice in London. The facility published some Facebook posts featuring some of their delighted patients cradling bouquets of the donated flowers on Sunday. They said, we got a very special delivery, beautiful bouquets made from the royal wedding flowers, which we gave to our patients. A big thank you to Harry and Megan and the florist, Philippa Craddock. Our hospice smells and looks gorgeous. What a lovely gesture. The flowers that were used in the ceremony included white garden roses 
and Forget-Me-Nots, both of which were favorites of the late Princess Diana, Harry's mom. Yeah, great story. Again, don't need to go political. Just enjoy the good components of a story like that. I love that. Well, here's a note that comes from Robert, who titles it 48 Years to the Work You Love. Now, let's, let's check this out. Again, I'm going to deal just with some questions that have to do with waiting for the right opportunity to show up. So Robert says, I found your book, 48 Days, very informative, insightful, and helpful in many ways, except one, being able to actually land my dream job. Now, what does the title of my popular book say? Does it say 48 Days Guaranteed to Get a Job? No, it says 48 days to the work you love. Now, I must admit in the early iterations of that title, I did have job. And then I was hearing from a whole lot of people who said, I'm not sure I want another J-O-B. I've been jerked around enough, you know, lost my job three times in the last two years. You know, I want to do something more creative. So that's very strategic, changing it from job you love to work you love. And that's why I talk in my outro about finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. If you don't find a job, create something that gives you meaningful work. Yeah, I know. I'm, well, I talked to a gentleman yesterday. I hadn't talked to him in a long time. Called him. We had a great talk. And, uh, He was, he knows well where I work, how I work. I was talking about how beautiful it is here on our property. I had just come in from outside. It just started. I had been outside for a while. I was, I've got a new little landscaping area I'm working on. I just put in yesterday, just put in some soft landscape lighting that came on last night. It's really beautiful. You're just as likely to find me outside on our property doing that as sitting in here at the computer during the course of any given day. But I mean, I love what I do. I mean, I talked to somebody yesterday, again, another, another gentleman who was talking about, you know, he hoped he could get all these things done so he could have a little bit of time to just do something he enjoyed doing. I thought, wow, I don't do anything that I don't enjoy doing. And I just, I, I can't imagine spending hours or days or weeks or months or years doing something that I don't enjoy. So anyway, back to Robert's question. Rather than wondering what I want to do, I know exactly what I want to do, but I can't seem to get a job doing it. Again, critical, critical setup here. I know exactly what I want to do, but I can't seem to get a job doing it. How many of you just raised your hand and said, that's me? I know what I want to do, but man, I can't find a job doing it. So Robert continues, I've wanted to teach theology in a Christian institution of higher education especially on the seminary level within the denomination of my membership or even outside of it. I'm a rostered pastor. When I first read that, I I read roasted. (laughs) I'm a roasted pastor. Yeah, I know a few like that. No, I'm a rostered 
pastor within this church body with 18 years of parish ministry experience, including teaching in a parochial school setting for several of those years. My dream for the last 20 years has been to join a theological faculty, and I've been acquiring the necessary credentials to do so. I have a Bachelor of Arts in Theology, a Master of Divinity in New Testament, a Master of Sacred Theology and Biblical Studies, and a Doctor of Philosophy in Old Testament. My goodness, based on comments from others, I'm a gifted teacher who's interesting, entertaining, captivating, with the capacity to convey the content of what I teach in an understandable way. I love doing research, analysis, writing in my area of interest, with teaching as the pinnacle of my work. Other than an occasional one-hour presentation now and then, as well as the opportunity to teach one seminary course outside of my denomination, I've not been able to land a teaching position. I've been actively applying for faculty jobs for the last 10 years, both within and outside of my church body, but with no success. What is even worse is that within my denomination, actively pursuing a theological position is frowned upon. One is told to wait, get this, one is told to wait for the divine call issued through a calling institution. I've done extensive networking within my denomination, which has a dozen universities and seminaries, and the academic community is both aware of me and knows that I would like to teach on a theological faculty. So far, nothing. Boy, does that present a catch-22. The organizations you want to be engaged with say that you shouldn't be actively seeking a position with them. You should wait on a divine calling. How does that divine calling get to you. And if you hear the divine calling, how do you act on it? Do you sit secretly by your mailbox and wait on a letter of invitation? Wow, I know God acts in mysterious ways, but um, if you want something accomplished in your own life, I hope you have a better plan than that. Well, Robert ends up, I feel in my soul a great and intensifying desire to teach, and I believe it is what God put me here to do. I'm 50 years old, and with the passing of each year, feel like my chances for fulfilling my dream are slipping away. My passion is in helping people grow in their knowledge and appreciation for God's Word, and I would very much like to make a full living doing so. And Any thoughts about what I may be missing or even failing to do to obtain this goal? Bob. Yes. Bob. Let's go back to our quotation for the day. And that is, no one is going to pick you, pick yourself. Now, what does that mean in light of what you're saying? You want a job. You've positioned yourself. You have more degrees than 10 people need. You've done everything in terms of work experience, reaching out, letting people know, doing a job search, and still you haven't gotten a job doing that. Is that the end of the road? No, not at all. When I say pick yourself, come up with 10 other ways to do exactly what you want to do. You want to teach. Now, here's here's the deal. I know that it's it's a a cultural built-in American model to wait to get picked. You know, to, to seek out the permission and authority that comes from an employer, a company, the government, your church, a publisher. Um, music production company. You know, we all want to get picked where they come up and say, ooh, I pick you. I mean, we, I live here in Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, there's thousands of people here who are very talented musicians, 
who are living in cardboard boxes under bridges because they're waiting to get picked. They're hoping to get an opportunity to get picked to play at the Bluebird Cafe where somebody may be sitting in the office audience who will say, I pick you. Golly, that's a long shot. I mean, you talk to the Justin Bieber's and Taylor Swift and my neighbor, Luke Bryant, Keith Urban, people like that. They didn't wait. They didn't wait for somebody to pick them. They just got in the game. If you're hoping for the HR people at an organization where you sent a resume and you're hoping that they pick you, it could be a very long wait. You don't need to wait. Pick yourself. If you want to be, if you want to make music, make music. If you want to write, start writing. If you want to teach, start teaching. I mean, when you're, when you're waiting for somebody to pick you, it really implies you aren't sure if you're good enough. So let me tell you what you can do here. Here's the, I, I, this morning I talked, talked with an attorney. This guy has degrees. I mean, I won't even go through them, but it's, I mean, you couldn't write them on your arm if you had no shirt on. Tons of degrees. Been waiting for two years to get picked. He says he has 38,000 resumes out on the marketplace. Every time he gets an interview, the interviewer asks why he would want to come work for them when he's done the things he's already done. He has an illustrious resume. Well, you know what can happen there. And I told him the same thing that he's heard before. When you have all these things that you've accomplished, the question is going to be first and foremost in the mind of the interviewer or the company. If you're able to do all these things and have proven your ability to do all, why would you want to come sit in a cubicle here? It kind of begs a question. If he's bought and sold companies, built companies, why would he want to come there? But he's been waiting for two years, waiting to get picked. I doubt that it's ever going to happen. Now, there's some things he could do to position himself better. You can remove 80% of what he's got on his resume. That's not being deceitful. It's just making sure that your resume is a sales brochure for where you want to go rather than identifying you as not being a candidate based on all the things that you've done. Though there's that. But if you're waiting, I know, I know authors. I mean, I'm an author. I love being an author. I love writing. I've got a couple new books and we had an event here last week and I've got more ideas for books that I want to write. I can't keep up with the ideas I've got for books. I want. But the big thing with authors is, oh, if I could just get on Oprah. Well, guess what? Oprah's gone. She doesn't have that show that made instant bestsellers out of Eat, Love, Pray and books like that. She's gone. Dick Clark is gone. He's not going to pick you if you're a musician to be on American Bandstand. They're gone. But there's the, the cool thing is the gatekeepers are also gone. It used to be if you wanted to 
get a book published and go on to be a New York Times bestseller. You had to go knocking on all the doors of the publishers or get an agent to go knock for you. And you'd get rejected by 30 publishers. We hear those stories, you know, chicken soup for the soul rejected by 33 publishers before somebody agreed to do a small run of those. Well, those days are gone. You don't need to wait. There's no gatekeeper. You can write a book and put it up on Amazon through create space or one of their publishing arms this afternoon. There's no gatekeepers. The gatekeepers have lost their power. If you want to write, you can start a blog this afternoon. You can put a compilation of those together in an ebook that you put up on Amazon. If you want to play music, make music, put it on iTunes. If you want to start a business, just start. You don't need to buy a business. Don't need to have employees. Just start. If you want to teach theology, just start teaching theology. When I started the content that is now 48 Days to the Work You Love, I volunteered to teach a Sunday school class. That's where I tested the material, the concepts. Does this work? Do people really get results? Do they get clarity about what God has gifted them to do and then find ways to turn that into meaningful, purposeful, and profitable? I mean, that's where I tested it again and again and again. But I was doing that as a volunteer. I didn't wait for a teaching position. I didn't wait for a publisher. And once the material took off, which it did dramatically, I sold, well, I mean, in a very short period of time, I sold over $2 million worth of a three-ring binder at $39 a piece with just my rough Sunday school notes printed on one side of the paper only and a couple cassettes originally and then later a couple CDs in there. But in, a, in about 30 months, I sold over $2 million worth of that. I never talked to a publisher until after that, after that success, publishers then were knocking on my door. So here's the deal. If you want to teach, give your work to 10 people. If it's good, they'll each tell 10 people. Now you have 100. If it's good, they're going to tell 10. Now you have 1,000. I mean, once you have 1,000 people who think your work is good, you're, you're in. You're golden. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. You know, there's a viral blog out there from several years ago. I forget the author, but it's 1,000 true fans. I mean, you get to that point where you've got 1,000 people that think your work is good. If it's teaching theology... You get a thousand people that think it's good. You don't need to go get a job anywhere. You can just start giving people that content. You can do workshops, seminars. You can do an online course. You can write a book. You can have speaking engagements. I mean, you can just go, you can create audio products. We can go down a list and create a list of 20, 25 things you can do that will create income far beyond you're ever going to get in a theological faculty position and spread your message far beyond what you could possibly do in a faculty teaching position as well. So the deal is now here's, I have to let me back up a little bit because if you give that to 10 people and they don't tell anyone, then there's only two things that are possible. Either your work isn't really very good or you picked the wrong 10 people. So you can back up to that, but that's the way you can start and you can get in the game right away. I mean, we have people in the 40 Days Eagles community who are just starting. We have people who are starting podcasts. 
who are writing books, who are starting yoga classes and doing courses online. I mean, they're just an explosion of things that people are doing in there. I tell people, if you want to write a book, I mean, go to my publishing site, 48dayspress.com. Show me your book proposal, 48dayspress.com. It's a totally different site. Show me your book proposal. I'm only going to choose 10 or 12 this year where the message really lines up with the 48 days brand, but that's okay because I know a whole lot of people in this publishing industry and I may just simply direct you to connect you with somebody else or three or four other people and say, they're really good. You know, if you get a book on health principles, geez, I love that, but no, that's not going to be under the 48 days brand but I can connect you with people who would really like that children's books, other kind of things. Sure. Get it out there. Don't wait. Now I want to tell you real quickly, a little bit more about our business partner today, that being Weebly. So let's say that you're one of those who, you know, has thought about quitting your job, doing your own thing. No, you're not crazy. You're like 82 million other very sane Americans who said they'd start their business if they could. Well, Weebly wants to see more of these people take that leap, turn their ideas into successful online businesses. So they've made it really easy to get started. I mean, first, by making it dead simple to create a great looking website. I mean, that's what we're talking about. How to, how to choose from modern, beautiful, easy to build online store templates. I mean, one of the things that we see coaches get bogged down is, is spending way too much time and money on having a website up. A website isn't your business. You know, getting people to pay you money means you're in business. You can do a whole lot of activity and never really have a business. You may just have an expensive hobby. So you want to get in the game and do take care of these details quickly. A way for people to pay you. And one of our coaches yesterday, we were on a, a conference call with about 20 of us in our coaching mastery program. And he said, you know, well, Kyle, he's got people saying they want to engage with him. He doesn't have a way for them to give him money. I said, dude, take a tin can with you. Yeah. You don't care. Don't let that be a stopper. If people are saying they want to engage with you, make it really easy, but get that up and running. So if you're an artist, you want to sell stuff online, you know, with Weebly, you can build an online store that makes your products, makes your brand look incredible. Then manage your inventory, collect payments, run promotions, chat with visitors on your site. I mean, all those things. Hey, check it out. You know, go to Weebly.com slash 48 days, 15% off whatever you choose right out of the gate. A lot of things there you can check out. Again, Weebly.com slash 48 days for 15% off your first purchase. You know, as I was, as I was going through that, as I was just talking about that there, I thought of this. thought of this old John Lennon song. You know, I, I have run into this so many times. People say I'm crazy. Yeah, like people say I'm crazy. Doing what I'm doing. How many times have I heard this relayed to me? Well, well me I got this job, you know, and the job pays me $70,000 a year. Me from you know, but I got this idea. Oh my gosh, I shared it over... Christmas dinner and everybody in the family said, man, you're nuts. You don't ever leave a job where you got a 401k contribution. You're going to have vested retirement in another 13 years. You'd be crazy. Well, 
whole lot of people ahead of you. We're told that. Think of my friend Mike Sparks, who is now our Tennessee state representative, an amazing politician. As a high school education, I was working at Nissan and started coming to my Monday night groups where I was testing out the material for 48 days to the work you love. At a Monday night open community class, he started coming. He had a job at Nissan. One of those, golly, you're not going to lose your job. They're making contributions to your retirement. You'd be nuts to leave a job like that. That's a plum position. And he had this idea about selling cars. Started doing it on the side. The first car he ever sold, he sold to a physician in Puerto Rico. They had to ship it down there, and he made 4000 bucks on it. I said, dude, if you can make one transaction and make almost what you're making in a month, you've proven yourself. You don't need to go any farther. You can quit your job. Well, he did. I mean, it was... Um, scary even to his wife felicia beautiful lady but she got on board well he started selling cars and he's just an amazing guy in terms of how he takes care of his customers i bought 11 cars from him over now he's moved on from selling cars because he found some new opportunities that really um, complemented his dream as well so he started selling cars and was doing just extremely well started buying real estate doing real estate transactions, but he's very involved in the community. And he said, man, I want to make a difference. You know, I want to make a difference for the small business person. Well, the representative position for his district was held by an, uh, an attorney, long, long family in the community. And everybody knew there's no way in the world you're going to upset this guy. I mean, he's got this position for life. He's an attorney, long family involvement in the community. Mike just hit the streets. Man, he hit the streets. He wore out so many pairs of shoes in that first campaign and just talking to people. Well, he got elected and he's, I don't know, he's in his fourth or fifth term at this point. But uh, anyway, you know, everybody told him he's crazy thinking what he was doing. Nah, he just said, I got to follow my heart on this. All right. Now here's a related question. A couple weeks ago, I had a note from a gentleman who said he's been in banking and mortgage for 25 years, but he really wanted to get back involved in ministry. Had didn't, he said, you know, wanted to be get going in ministry again is what he said. I work full-time still in the banking mortgage industry, but feel I'm quite, quite frankly, I'm burned out. I do not have a seminary degree or divinity degree. I feel vastly underqualified to pastor in a healthy, nourishing manner. And he goes on and on. Well, I got a note from another listener. I'm going to share this because it's something some of you may be interested in as well. This comes from John, John Sanders, who does pastor church. He said a couple episodes ago, where I talked about your face is the billboard of your mind. You shared a question from a banker who was desiring to get back into some form of pastoral ministry. Could you possibly connect me to him? I would love to run a possibility by him to consider. I lead a growing multi-site church with a huge vision to reach rural communities with the gospel. But we've embraced a model in which we lean into bivocational campus pastors. 
due to our limited resources and the benefits that come from having our pastors out in the real world, rubbing shoulders with everyday people instead of being cooped up in a church office. Wow, we could write a book about that sentence. The benefits of having the pastors out in the real world, rubbing shoulders with everyday people instead of being cooped up in a church office. I would love to have a conversation with that individual to explore whether a place in our team might be a good fit for him. So he gave me his cell number. Actually, you can, you know, I'm not going to give you his cell number. I won't do that here, but I'll give you his email. His name is John Sanders, and he's helping equip people for this bivocational process of being a pastor for a rural community, but also doing something that Paul in the Bible talked about as tent making. Well, I've already connected John and David together, but if you're interested in that kind of a model, it's John, J-O-N, at therescuechurch.com. You can check him out there. Man, I love making those kind of connections. I was talking yesterday with our coaching mastery coaches about some of the things that I've done to stay connected with coaches. One of the things that I've done that has fueled my success is to be a resource for people. I mean, people come to me, I mean, this morning, the attorney I talked to, I said, I don't think I'm your guy for coaching. But I said, here's some resources that I think can help you clarify where you're going. But I do that a lot. Or somebody comes to me and says, oh, I am a pastor and I want to transition out. I'm not your guy for coaching, but I know a couple guys who excel in that space, who do that extremely well. Somebody comes to me and um, they're in their 20s and they're looking to get promoted. I don't coach people in their 20s, but I've got some coaches on our team that are really good in that space. Love being able just to connect people, put them together. Well, just a reminder here, you're listening to Real Life Questions. This is not the end. Got some more questions that come here, but I want to remind you, you can shoot your question in. You can shoot your success story if you want to, or your question about your situation. Uh, you can go to the podcast link at 48days.com site, or the easiest way, like most of you recognize, is just shoot an email to me directly at askdan at 48days.com. Again, that email is askdan at 48days.com. Now, a couple weeks ago, I got a note from a guy and I, I said it won the prize for the most alliterative question of the day or comment of the day. And it was about a can opener in an apple orchard. I'll, I'll read it again because it's short. And I got a follow up from the writer of that, which again, oh my gosh, so strongly positions him in a particular direction. You'll recognize what? In just a second here. But here was his original note. You will never be valued in the wrong environment. A can opener is completely useless in an apple orchard. That doesn't mean that the apple orchard is a bad place or that the can opener has no value. But the can opener needs to find cans and people who need to open cans. If the can opener stays in the apple orchard too long, it will begin to feel worthless and it will become frozen with rust, unused and unappreciated. Someone will find it years later buried in the fertile soil and wonder what the decayed clump of metal used to be. I'm a can opener in an apple orchard, and I suspect many of your readers and listeners are too. Thank you for trying us to help 
find our way. All right. Now, I just, I love that. I mean, I love great writing that engages you like that. I'm a can opener in an apple orchard. I mean, what an amazing metaphor that you can visualize and dig into and say, oh, I understand that. I get that. All right. Now, let me, let me read you the update here from our can opener who's stuck in an apple orchard. I'm the guy who wrote you. And describe, now, you, you tell me what this guy needs to lean into as you listen to me read his input here. I'm the guy who wrote you described himself as a can opener in an apple orchard. I'm 38 years old, and I have a relatively low-level position in a human resources information systems office for a large company. Every moment of it makes me miserable. I'm a sack of meat slumped in a cheap office chair. My soul is somewhere else. And it has been for some time. I feel empty, futureless, valueless, and desperate. I also sit in Houston traffic for about two and a half hours every day. Up until about two years ago, I thought this was just what people did to earn a living. I should be lucky to have a job at all, right? Then the guilt sets in. The guilt of being unhappy with the job while so many others would be celebrating every day just to be slumped in my cheap office chair. Earning a living any other way, like entrepreneurship or project work, has always been this elusive daydream that I could never quite wrap my head around. That's something that other people do, not people like me. People like me wander through life, starting out with dreams, but ending up as barnacles, desperately clutching the side of a massive rusting cargo ship. We might not like being barnacles, but it sure beats falling off into the salty abyss below. Or does it? I started out in the military, a clueless enlisted guy working in information technology. Now he goes on through here. There's, there's some lengthy details here. Halfway through my degree, I decided to throw caution to the wind and do something I always wanted to do, but never had the guts to admit I wanted to write. So I changed my major to literature with my eye on a master of fine arts program in creative writing. When I completed my bachelor's degree, I was plagued with visions of being a starving writer or a reluctant English teacher. I decided to try and get a job instead of pursuing a graduate degree. I landed a job as a technical writer six years ago with the company that I currently work for. My role has shifted a lot since I was hired, and now I'm in an IT capacity again. So I'm basically back where I was when I left the defense industry, which, as it turns out, is very similar to the corporate oil and gas environment. I'm in a time warp. I lost 10 years of my life, ended up in virtually the same place. Now I'm pursuing a master of science degree in information systems, which isn't particularly interesting. I'm doing it because I feel like I just have to make the best of the situation I'm in. I hate that I'm playing this game. I'm getting a piece of paper, a bullet on a resume so that I can maybe have a better position in purgatory. It just eats me up, but I'm doing it. I'm determined to out barnacle all the other barnacles or at least not be the worst barnacle. All right, more information. I'm married with two incredible baby girls and I feel paralyzed when I consider doing anything that would disrupt my income as small as it is. Nothing I've come across as a side business seems that alluring. I want to create, not just sell, but I have no confidence my creations would mean anything to anyone. I'm your stereotypically quiet, shy guy who tends to keep to himself, and I've always found it difficult to form a network that might be able to help me transition into something else. Goes on. Golly, 
He says, I thought I would be, it would be really cool to blog about my escape from the cubicle labyrinth, liking myself to Theosis, escaping the Minotaur, or maybe the, tell my story of how I escaped the same fate as Sisyphus, pushing my boulder up a hill for eternity in corporate purgatory. The only problem is I haven't escaped and I don't know that I ever will. Oh my gosh. And end of story. Now into my words. I am blown away as I was the first time and totally captured by the writing style of this gentleman, 38 years old, married, two beautiful little girls. I mean, I'm a sack of meat, something, a cheap office chair. People like me wander through life, starting out with dreams, but ending up as barnacles, desperately clutching the side of a massive resting cargo ship. We might not like being barnacles, but it sure beats falling off into the salty abyss below. Or does it? I mean, it just goes on and on. Your writing is amazing. There's a whole lot of people out there writing books who do not have 5% of the writing skill that you do. And you say that you at one point wanted to push into writing, but then backed away from that. My gosh, I have, uh, I have had the privilege of working with so many people in the last 10 years who moved into the writing space and now are experiencing the benefits of that. I mean, people that have worked with Carrie Oberbrunner and his author Academy Elite program, I refer people there every day. Jeff Goins, Tribe Writers. You know, I refer people there. There are others. Ruth Sukup with their blogging, teaching people how to make money just from blogging. But the writing that you do. And then there's people who like um, Nick Pavlidis. Nick is an attorney. Came to one of our events here. Thought he was going to just move up the corporate ladder as an attorney. And totally changed the direction of his life. Wrote a book. His first book was Confessions of a terrible husband and the book opened doors of opportunity. One of which being to write other people's stories. That's what Nick does today. He's a ghostwriter. He writes other people's stories. Now, let me just give you kind of a range for what people get when they're good at writing other people's stories. The range is going to be somewhere between 15,000 and 250,000. I won't tell you exactly where Nick is, but he moved up in that range really, really quickly and has probably six or seven projects in the queue right now. My friend Ken Abraham lives right across, literally across the cow pasture from where I'm sitting here. Abraham, I've known him for years. He really is at the top of his game. When, um, golly, back in 9-11, the book Let's Roll, when Todd Beamer went down in the plane in Pennsylvania and he wrote the story, Let's Roll, in working with Todd's widow, Lisa Beamer. Well, that's Ken Abraham. I mean, John Ashcroft's book, Never Again. He writes books for politicians, Chuck Norris, Against All Odds. Those are all books that Ken Abraham writes, but his typical fee is $250,000. Well, you do four or five of those a year, that's a pretty good year. That's what Ken does. But your writing skills can translate into so many other opportunities. My gosh, I want you to get involved in, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an honorary membership in the 40 Days Eagles community. 
I want people in there to see your writing. We have a book in there, Time to Fly, that was put together through the writing contributions of members that was then compiled by James Woosley and Jennifer Harshman. I mean, there's so many opportunities that writers are pursuing and moving forward on. It blows my mind. Well, one other one here, pick yourself. This comes from Phil. Dan, I've been a school band director for 15 years. I'm looking to make a career change. One area I'm exploring is to self-publish my own sheet music. The problem is there are only a handful of websites that allow for self-publishing. They offer very little commission. Actually, you're at the mercy of a publisher who decides what gets published. Create Space currently has a 24-page minimum for submissions. Music compositions are often shorter in length. Are there any people or resources you can share with me that would allow me to self-publish single sheet composition? I would love to be able to generate income while I sleep, as you've mentioned on many podcasts. Absolutely, Phil. I mean, take your experience as a band director. I mean, uh, is it, I mean, how to play the piano. I mean, uh, check out online, check out Scott Houston, the piano guy. This guy has blown it up with his little videos on how to play the piano. Matter of fact, I'm likely to be a customer here in the next 30 days or so. Scott Houston, the piano guy, he's got his own YouTube channel where he just teaches people how to play the piano. I mean, Brian Dixon, who is on our team, is helping a guy right now create a course on how to play the French horn. I mean, just a unique area of interest like that, create a course. I mean, what if you have a course and it's $97 and you only have a thousand people in the world who end up being interested enough to purchase that? Well, that's $97,000, you know, that, that probably surpasses of what the compensation for being a band director is. Absolutely. You can move right into that, move into that by taking advantage of the social networks that are available out there, how quickly you can let people know what it is you do. You can give what you do to 10 people. As I mentioned earlier, that process, if they like it, they'll share it. You grow, you get a thousand people like what you do and you're home free and ready to go. Boom. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to end with that one, man. I could keep going. I love these questions though, that have to do with exactly this idea. You don't have to wait, not in today's environment. If you know your dream, you don't have to wait on getting a job. You don't have to wait on a publisher. You don't have to wait on a music company. You don't have to wait on anybody. You can just get in the game. Yes, you have to have something that's good. Yes, you have to have the confidence that you can do this yourself. You know, those things are certainly true. But if you do, then you can move forward without any delay. No hesitation required at all. Move forward. Well, some of you may still feel like you're stuck in a J-O-B. You know, the people that did this song... Todd Nimalay. God, they didn't wait. One of the things they did, they just created this song and sent it to me just as a gift. How many people have heard this song and asked me, who did this? They're at the Gifty, the Gifty song. You can check it out. The Gifty song, Todd Nimalay. And my gosh, they didn't wait. They didn't try to sell anything to me. They gave it to me and as a result, have had tons of people contact them about the work that they're doing. That's how you get in the game. So here's the deal. Here's our call to action that we talked about. This week, today, 
How can you move directly toward your dream without waiting for anyone to pick you? Let me say that again. How can you move directly toward your dream without waiting for anyone to pick you? And I know you can. I don't care what it is you want to do. If you want to make paper airplanes or grow dandelions, you don't need to wait. Pick yourself. Do something that allows you to get into the game. Well, obviously, I love this. I hope you can tell. I love this. I love having the opportunity to do what I do day after day. Love it, love it, love it. Be doing this for a very long time in the future. Well, thanks for being part of this growing community. Hey, check out the 48 Days Eels community. I mean, that's where a lot of things are happening that I talk about here. Check that out. But thanks for being part of this growing group in general who are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and very profitable.